no matter how powerful death is, notwithstanding the ugly end of man, however terrifying the grave is, however nonsensical and absurd everything appears, no matter how black one's despair is and how nauseating an affair life is, we declare and profess publicly and solemnly that we are not giving up, that we are not surrendering, that we will carry on the work of our ancestors. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 219, The Psalm and the Kaddish. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Today we begin by looking at a fascinating creation of the German-Jewish artist Moritz Daniel Oppenheim. It is titled Die Jahrzeit, and it features exactly that. Jews serving in the Prussian army who have repurposed a house in order to form a minion in the midst of the war to allow one Jewish soldier to lead the service on the Jahrzeit, the anniversary of the passing of his parent, and so that this man could say the Kaddish. As many pieces of writing about the painting have noted, these are Jewish soldiers from Germany participating in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. The house where the service is taking place is in Alsace-Lorraine. To two non-Jewish individuals peeking in on the strange scene unfolding, a motif common to many of Oppenheim's depictions, is occurring not only because they are Gentiles, but also because they are French, and the soldiers are Prussian. It is through the Franco-Prussian War that Bismarck will seek to take all the minor principalities in Germany and unite them into one country under the Prussian throne. This, then, as many have noted, is a war about forging German identity and, as it has been further noted, through the hindsight of history, there is a profoundly sad irony that attends this scene where we see a soldier clad in both a talit and a spiked German helmet attempting to illustrate that he can be both Jewish and German, while we know that in the end, that option will not be granted to German Jewry. All this others have already commented, but there is more, I think, to say. The painting depicting soldiers at war is about the confrontation with death, and we can join an interpretation of this painting with a reflection on one part of the traditional burial ritual, which itself in turn is linked to the psalm that we study today. Psalm 91 is said in synagogue on Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night but it is also affiliated with an incredibly somber moment in the Jewish life cycle, the burial. It is the words of this psalm that are recited as the procession heads to the grave. For rabbis who oversee burials, this psalm therefore immediately conjures up memories of those moments. Rabbi Maurice Lamb put it this way in his classic work, The Jewish Way in Death and Mourning, quote, During the procession, the very beautiful and moving Psalm 91 is recited. This psalm has been ascribed by Bible commentators to Moses or a poet under his influence. It is said to have been recited at the building of the tabernacle in the desert. Others ascribe it to a dialogue held between David and Solomon or recited by them at the dedication of Jerusalem and the temple. It is referred to as the song of the spirit, guarding man against the evil that surrounds him. It is an expression of confidence that God will watch over his people and that nothing will again befall them because they trust in the Lord. End quote. Indeed, this is the theme of the psalm, whose opening verses read as follows. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the trapper and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. 
A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. The psalm thus speaks of God's protection, and it also speaks of guardian angels acting on behalf of God, which for me seems to remind us of the beautiful words of Jacob about his grandchildren as he himself neared death. May the angel that has redeemed me from all evil bless the young children. But as Rabbi Maurice Lamb further points out, the psalm at the burial procession is read in a unique way. As its words are intoned, usually those heading to the grave pause every few moments, stopping in their tracks before continuing onward. According to the traditions of many Jewish communities, seven stops in all are made. And, as Rabbi Lamb further notes, a striking passage in the rabbinic writings links these seven stops at a funeral to the passage in Ecclesiastes wherein life is called Hevel or Havalim, usually translated as vanity or vanities. Rabbi Lamb further writes, quote, Vanity in this context signifies the vapor, Hevel, that appears when one exhales on a cold day. It has no substance and disappears into thin air. Is life, Rabbi Lamb continues, only vapor? The sages noted that vanity in the oft-quoted verse is said three times in the singular and twice in the plural, which adds up to seven times. Each of these vanities is symbolized by a pause as one carries the casket to the grave. With each stop, the fact of ultimate death teaches us to avoid the life of vanity, to be creative and kind, to repent of evil, to walk in the path of goodness. End quote. So Rabbi Lamb puts it, and I would like to add a further expansion or another possible explanation, drawing on this rabbinic comment, an attempt to further understand what the pausing might represent, the pausing that parallels Ecclesiastes' description of the transience of life. One of the most striking aspects of the Jewish laws of mourning is that for those whose loved ones are still unburied, the standard obligation of Jewish law are essentially stopped, put on pause, only resuming after the burial. The Mishnah tells us, one whose close relative lies dead before him, is exempt from prayer, from laying phylacteries, and from all positive commandments in the Torah, while the prohibitions of Jewish law still apply. Nevertheless, from the moment of death until the burial, those that have lost a close relative will refrain from engaging in almost all of the rituals that they have been performing their whole life. For a day or two, They will not say the Shema. They will not pray. They will not say blessings. This state of being is known as Aninut. One who is exempt from commandments is known as an Onain. But why would Judaism exempt an individual at these moments? This may be purely technical. It may be that the mourner is exempted at this moment so that he or she can focus on the duty at hand, the obligation of burial. But Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has suggested that this striking law This refraining from engaging in the performance of Jewish ritual is meant to reflect the despair in the mind of the mourner. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, Aninut represents the spontaneous human reaction to death. It is an outcry, a shout, or a howl of grisly horror and disgust. Man responds to his defeat at the hands of death with total resignation and with an all-consuming, masochistic, self-devastating black despair. Beaten by the fiend, his prayers rejected, enveloped by a hideous darkness, Forsaken and lonely, man begins to question his own human singular reality. 
Doubt develops quickly into a cruel conviction, and doubting man turns into mocking man. At whom does man mock? At himself. He starts downgrading, denouncing himself. He dehumanizes himself. End quote. Aninut for Rabbi Soloveitchik is a reflection of this state of mind. Jewish law in compassion does not demand ritual activity before burial because it understands that a mourner in that moment is questioning the very nature of human existence. Rabbi Soloveitchik adds, quote, Man's response to death is saturated with malice and ridicule to himself. He tells himself, if death is the final destiny of all men, if everything human terminates in the narrow, dark grave, then why be a man at all? Then why make the pretense of being the choicest of all creatures? Then why lay claim to singularity and imago dei, the divine image? Then why be committed? Why carry the moral load? End quote. And Rabbi Soloveitchik further notes the same source in Ecclesiastes. Quote, in a word, the motto of Aninut is to be found in the old pessimistic verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, so that man has no preeminence over the beast, for all is vanity. End quote. I would therefore suggest that the stops at the funeral, paralleling the references in the Bible to the transient nature of life, reflect the stopping that has come for a moment for Jewish observance, a stopping that in turn reflects the turbulence of the mind of the mourner. But as anyone who has seen the burial procession knows, these pauses are only pauses. The procession proceeds. And this perhaps represents that even in the midst of mourning and the confronting of death, Jewish faith and Jewish work for the future continues. For as Rabbi Soloveitchik further writes, quote, Death teaches man to transcend his physical self and to identify with the timeless covenantal community. Death, the halakha, warns the mourner, not only does not free man from his commitment, but on the contrary, enhances his role as a historic being and sensitizes his moral consciousness. End quote. Thus, as soon as the burial has concluded, the mourner is suddenly obligated in commandments again, and he pronounces his first ritual words, the Kaddish, praying for the sanctification of God's name on earth. Rabbi Soloveitchik describes the meaning of this Kaddish said at the burial. Quote, Through the Kaddish we hurl defiance at death and its fiendish conspiracy against man. When the mourner recites, Glorified and sanctified be the great name, he declares, No matter how powerful death is, Notwithstanding the ugly end of man, however terrifying the grave is, however nonsensical and absurd everything appears, no matter how black one's despair is and how nauseating and a fair life is, we declare and profess publicly and solemnly that we are not giving up, that we are not surrendering, that we will carry on the work of our ancestors, end quote. And he further adds, what is the Kaddish pronounced at the grave if not an ostentatious negation of despair? So Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, and with this in mind, we can return to the Oppenheim painting. This picture would have appeared in the book that made Oppenheim famous, his scenes of Jewish family life. We are therefore supposed to be considering not only what is in this scene, but also what is not there. In the scenes of Jewish homes given us by Oppenheim, there is usually a small frame hanging on the wall, surrounding not an image, but a word. You could see it, for example, in a scene of Purim, as well as of Shabbat. The word within the frame is Mizrach, east, and it is utilized to point the Jew in the direction of the land of Israel toward the Temple Mount, to tell the Jew the direction toward which to pray. Now you are able to see in this image that right in front of the soldier who is observing the yard site, there is also a frame, but there is no Mizrach, east, written there. Indeed, whatever was in that frame has been lost. It is merely a blank whose distinguishing feature is a bullet hole. The soldier faces 
the bullet. When all the Jewish soldiers turn east to pray, they will face in that direction as well. Thus, as this soldier turns to pray, he is figuratively staring death in the face. This is made more poignant because presumably that picture once contained a family portrait now lost, and this soldier is praying in memory of a family member who is now lost. And as we look around the room, we see that throughout are reminders of mortality. We see a Jewish medic who is apparently reflecting on the terrible and bloody wounds that he has had to address. We see one soldier who does not stand for the service. The cane sitting next to him allows us to understand that he sits because he cannot stand. Thus, the larger setting allows us to intuit that while one soldier has gathered his comrades to remember his own parents' passing, at the same time, each one of them there has had to stare squarely at the possibility of their own death. Every one of them has come to pray to God to face the Almighty, but as they do so, they are also pondering the possibility of their own passing. But in the face of the horror they have witnessed, rejecting the despair that could so easily descend upon them, they form a minion, a Jewish congregation, replacing thereby terror with hope. They have come to facilitate the Kaddish on behalf of a fellow Jew who is committing himself to remembering and perpetuating the memory of that loved one. The Kaddish, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, represents the negation of despair. And ultimately, this is a good summation of Judaism itself throughout our history. The negation of despair. The ability to connect with those who have come before. To commit to carrying their work onward. The ability to look mortality in the face and to commit to taking one's place in an eternal people. The facility through our faith to establish a link with those we love and to live by the ideals bequeathed to us. These are all the watchwords of a people that has faced death many times, but which remains, against all odds, a people that lives still. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.